who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. I wish we could be doing this over drinks. It would be a very different interview. Um, it would be, and it would be not one that I would ever publish. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Actually, you might be like, this is better. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks for joining me here on Repin. I'm Evelyn, your host, and I am stupid excited about my guest today. She's my first return guest. I had her on my show and found her to be insanely talented, grounded, kind, and crazy smart. I loved my time with her so much that I had to have her come back. Thankfully, she was lovely and gracious, as she always is, and agreed to return. She's on the CW's groundbreaking show, Kung Fu. She stars as the formidable, cunning, lethal, and en vogue assassin, Jalan. My guest is pitch perfect with her portrayal of this complicated character, showcasing her talent and range by seamlessly transitioning from heartbreaking scenes to some badass fight sequences. She made it look so damn legit that I made a mental note not to piss her off. Like, ever. As great as she is on screen, she's even cooler in real life. I'm thrilled to have her back and to be able to continue my conversation with the incredible Yvonne Chapman. Yvonne, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. You're my first repeat guest. I am so excited you're back and I'm so thrilled for your success. You so deserve it. And I'm really, really happy that you you literally made time to come here. Um, let me first say, by I am so excited to be back. And oh my God, I'm honored to be the first repeat. I I, never, I didn't know that. That's exciting. Thank you for having me. So congratulations on the season two pickup of Kung Fu. And also, I am so thrilled that uh, Zalan and you're now a series regular because I cannot imagine this series without you and Zalan. Zalan, as you know, is 
probably with all due respect to the cast and the writers, my favorite character on the show because she is so complicated. <laughs> you know, as a character, she's got so many levels and like nuances that it's so interesting and fun to watch. Tell me a little bit about season two. What can we expect? And what's it been like for you to be back and being able to sink your teeth into a character that is so complicated and now you're getting more time to develop the character and tell more stories. Oh my gosh, thank you for the compliments. That's that's so sweet of you. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Thank you, that's really, really kind. The flowers go to the showrunners for creating her and just the complexities, like you said, and the colors that they gave her. I'm really grateful for that because, and they know this being the storytellers that they are, I can't play evil. You know, nobody can. That's just an idea. It's not an actual person or reality. The backstory that they introduced in season one really leads into season two and her having to deal with all of that on more of a personal level. So season two for me was all about discovery for her. For those, in spoiler alert, who haven't seen episode one yet, you are introduced for, to a very different idea of Jalan. Yeah. You know, she's in prison, which we all know from the end of season one, and she's completely broken down. Like, this is not the same woman that you saw in season one who had all her stuff together, you know? Like, she was very focused, very ruthless, like, understanding exactly what her goals were, and now she's just like, I... I don't know what my purpose is in life. So that's where you're introduced to her and we get to see a lot of that kind of discovery going through it. That was a lot of fun for me because I took it on as a challenge of almost figuring it out as we went because for her, it was like, again, it was all about discovery. Every single interaction that she had, every new person that comes into her life is very telling of the path that she's going to take towards the end, which I think is going to be very surprising for the audiences. So there's just a bit of a teaser there. Just stick with us till the end and you won't be disappointed on that. Well, let me tell you, I loved the season premiere. It was almost jarring to see Zalan, who was so formidable, completely almost become a shell of herself. Was that fun for you to play? And looking forward as an actress to have that time to be able to grow, what's that like? Like, what are you excited about? So I really loved being able to play her broken because I think the tenant of that whole idea for me was in growth, sometimes you got to break down, right? You, you got to dismantle what it is that wasn't working anymore. And it wasn't working for her. It didn't work for her. And you got to strip all that back because as we all know that that old saying, the definition of insanity is just doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And yeah, in the season, you might see her, of course, there's still going to be a bit of a bite to her, obviously. She's not going to stay that way throughout the season. And good as human beings do, we tend to go back to the familiar, which she does. But that, again, is just the very human aspect of it for me and for her that was injected into this whole season. So that was great for me to be able to do that. Like I was stripped down of the clothes. I was stripped down of the makeup. My my hair was made to look like I haven't showered in days. You know what I mean? I don't know. You look better. You look better than I do after like, you know, hours of makeup. But yeah, I, I thought you looked it. great. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> now that you're, you're going into season two and for me watching it, it feels like episode one was very, very tight and it felt like you guys got your rhythm right from the jump. And that makes sense because you guys are in season two. What is some of the feedback that you've gotten throughout season one and season two, like the impact of the show, the cast that you guys have made, both as an entertainment vehicle and great show, 
but also the impact that you're making socially. What What's some of the feedback that you're getting that sort of really something that you connected to and made you realize like, wow, this is this is not just a TV show. Personally, for me, it was the personal messages that I got from acquaintances, friends and family saying how great it was to to see a cast of this makeup on television. And then even more than that, what I think is really transcendent is that they didn't even really recognize it at first. They're just like, oh, yeah, most of the cast is Asian. It was almost like, great, now it's becoming normal because nobody second guesses when we see a cast that isn't. That has been the mainstay and the status quo for a very long time. But for me, it felt like it was transcending when people thought of that, like, oh, yeah. And by the way, that's really great, too. But first and foremost, it was just like a really great show, great story. And they really enjoyed it for what it was. It sounds odd, but I always said it in the season one when we were doing the first interviews and all that. Not not with you particularly, but with everybody. The goal for me was when it didn't feel special anymore. When it was just another show with another cast and we're there and it's normal for us to see us on TV. Now, unfortunately, you know, as has been pointed out to us, that we are pretty much the only television show right now in North America anyway that has a full-on Asian cast like this. Which I think is changing because we have some really great stuff coming up that's being filmed in Vancouver actually as well. But all that to say is that is the transition that I started to see through the feedback and the interviews. And I was thrilled. That's awesome. Now, the first time you guested on my podcast, you talked a lot about building a community and building a tribe and how important that is and finding your community. What's interesting to me, and I literally just clocked this you and your castmates are really tight and you post a lot on social media. You guys are hanging out, eating, which by the way, I'm really jealous and I'm like dying to get invited. <laughs> Kang, if you're listening. Well, come to Canada and you <laughs> shall get an invite. <laughs> Just trying to bait you over to Canada. <laughs> hey, listen, you said food, I'm there. But the interesting thing is, is that you're actually representing and breaking stereotypes off camera too. I feel like there's been a noticeable shift in perspective, you know, fairly recently before it was like, okay, there's only one role for an Asian person. It's going to be me inside of you, right? Much more competition. Now there's much more of a community um, feel to it, not just with the minority groups, but also as women. But I think that you're coming together off screen, just socializing and, and showing your friendship and love for each other has really sort of continued that work, whether you recognize it or not. Mm -hmm. You notice that at all or no? Wow. Like, uh, to be perfectly honest, that for me was completely unintentional. I know. I mean, we just do what we do. Like we fortunately get along so well. I mean, especially considering, you know, filming this thing in a pandemic, we can't really see anybody outside of our own. So thankfully we all really care and love each other. So it works out. Wow. I, I, now that you say it, I'm really happy that it's coming off that way because we're just sharing our enjoyment of each other's company. And you're right, like coming back to the whole competition thing, I'm not going to pretend that there wasn't a time at the beginning of my career where I felt like I had to be really competitive Yeah, because there was such a dialogue out there that there was only so much space for all of us. And it's just in the realization that a scarcity mindset really does not serve me. It doesn't. When you go back to women in particular, like, why do we think that there's only so much space for us? 
that has never served more than collaboration. Collaboration was always the key to a, a great foundation and for building something great. And competition and scarcity are foes of that. It was in that learning process of like, well, why wouldn't we just open up the doors and just share more of the pie, so to speak? I kind of hate saying that, but there's not a really better analogy for it. <laughs> um, you know, to share more of the space rather than say, okay, well, if you take that, then you've taken away from me. That's just not true. To me, it's a very small way of thinking. But you and your castmates are both as, as individuals and then also as a group are proving that again and again, because I didn't have any real uh, Asian group or group of friends. I never had that. Mm. So now that I'm seeing that, it really makes my heart swell. I'm not kidding. I want to like go hang out and go work on that show with you guys. Oh, you're welcome to come out <laughs> with us anytime. Again, I'm just trying to turn everyone Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know I'm dying to visit. The last time uh, you, you were on the show, I had you sign off. I have everyone sign off. Your sign off was... I represent letting other people's expectation and the ideas of the life they think you should lead and try for the one that you want. I sort of wanted to go back to that because I thought that was so great, but it's such a hard lesson because you're talking about expectation, right? Expectation, and that's like a lot of outside messaging from society as well as family. And there's a lot of dynamics that kind of play into that in terms of cultural, familial, um, the nuances that live within each person and family. You were originally working in corporate finance, but you switched to go into entertainment. And obviously that was a, a, um, a huge jump and you had to overcome a lot of fear, self-doubt, insecurity, and also expectations. How did you deal with expectations? What were some of the messages you were getting and how did you navigate that? Because as a Chinese Canadian, um, and also as a child of immigrants, which I am as well, there are a lot of nuances there that we need to contend with that maybe some people may not understand. Can you tell me what your situation was, was Yvonne, with expectations and how did it first impact you? Was there a particular story or experience that you remember grappling with and, and what happened? I, I don't know if there's something very in particular. For me, it was very almost like a, a ladder step piecewise where I just had to contend, like you said, with certain nuances that were coming my way and expectations and understand that, well, one, why do I put that on myself on a personal level and professional level? And second, do I even need to meet that expectation or how do I overcome it to go into the one that I actually want? Because there's always a general overarching story of like, you know, if I'm going to lend this to storytelling, for example, of archetypes of people that we should be, um, the society places on us. And so I came from a world where in the corporate world, where it's like, you get a job, you get at the entry level, you work hard, you get to another level, you get this, you get that, you get promoted to manager and this, you buy a home, you have a family, all that kind of very societal expectations of what a good, healthy life looks like. So that's what I grappled with at the start was leaving a really good career leaving behind my family and friends and thinking, okay, well, what does my life look like now? Because I'm rejigging everything to go into a different life with a different set of expectations now, because the film and TV industry has a whole nother set of expectations. But if I just stripped down everything, no matter what situation it was, the question I had to ask myself is with these expectations and what I should be is, well, one, who said that? Who put these expectations on okay. me? Right. And why does their opinion matter? Okay. Uh, like, 
when I get down to it, really, why does their opinion right? matter? And why do I want to take that on? Okay. I, I love that. That's so badass. I love that. But here's the thing. It's like a lot of times, you know, we're talking about when we were in our 20s, right? We're still just trying to get jobs, trying to get out on our own and, and find our own path. Getting a job was like the big thing, right? Yeah. And being able to support yourself. So that's pretty complex. If you really think about what you just laid out here, you had to first stop and recognize, okay, someone is giving me outside messages about what I should be doing or owning or whatever, recognizing that and then going, well, why should I care? Those are huge steps. Do you remember how you got to that point? Because I think when I was in my 20s, just trying to get a job, I don't think I, that, I, I had that sort of self-awareness to realize like, what was that outside messaging? I was just going, oh shit, I need to get a, I, I need to get a job. Oh, fair. And so, so was I. I'm not pretending that I wasn't. So this was all, you know, for me to actually get to this place. And by the way, I'm still navigating my way through this. Me too. It's, it's in recognition of it. Yeah, exactly. And then taking the time to stop and say, okay, why is this bothering me in the way that it is? So if I go back to coming out of university, let's go back there and having the expectations, like you got to get a job for me, it was in Calgary and oil and gas. Cause that was the thing that was going to make you the most money. And it should be in this kind of position so that you can set yourself up to get a really good uh, managerial position later on, hopefully by the time you're 30. Otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> Again, but who said, who put those parameters on there? Right. But you buy into it because that's the right. messaging that you get at all sides at that age. And at that age, we don't have the life experience yet. And we don't have the knowledge mm -hmm. of who we are to yeah. say no or to choose something else. So when you take those on, you take those on and then you have an action. And my action was, okay, I'm going to go get a job. I got the job. I stayed in it. You work hard. And then you have to listen to yourself and think, is this really right for me? Do I actually really want to be doing this? It's not shutting down the voice that matters the most, which is your own, which is really difficult to do. And I understand that. And it just takes practice. And it takes this willingness to have a certain faith in your own capabilities and your own ownership of your responsibilities and actions that you want to take in life. Now, I, can I say exactly how to get there? I can't. I wish I could for people, but it's more of just that self-practice of saying, okay, I understand what people are telling me. And maybe I understand too that for the most part, and this is important, understanding the source of where that's coming from. Are these people that have your best interest at heart? Because sometimes you hear all this advice and a lot of it is just projection of, of people's own experiences and fair enough. You know, they experienced something, they projected onto you saying, oh, maybe you shouldn't do this or you should do this because it worked out for me or didn't work out for me that way. But their story is their story. It's not yours that you have to take on. Just ask yourself, like, where is that coming from? And do I trust the source of this opinion of this voice that's coming at me? And does it serve me in any way? And it's okay if it doesn't. It doesn't mean that you don't listen. It just means that you don't necessarily have to take it on and take action on it. That is so awesome. Your taking ownership of your choices is great. Now, that can either motivate you to go after something or it could literally freeze you in place. So that's something that I have to give you a lot of credit for for doing because, you know, you did talk about like just packing up and, and putting everything in your car and just going for it. And I still think that recognizing that that's what you want to do is one, it's like one big thing. 
but then actually having the guts to do it and see it through and not turn your car back is another huge thing. And that's why when you said that to me the first time you were on the show, I was like, that is serious courage because you are going not only against the grain, but you're also like fighting your own inner fear, which could have kept you in place in your financial job that was so steady, you know? Now you talked a little bit about understanding that some of the messages are coming outside from the society and who cares, but the thing that complicates it, and I can't speak for everybody else, but I'll just say for me, being Chinese and also being the only daughter of immigrants, I felt that added thousand zillion pound weight to not let my parents down. Yeah, the pressure can be very intense from family. And I just wish we talked to each other more. Let let me just start by saying that because all of this can be cleared up with a misconception of the drive behind why, you know, and I'll, for my own personal experience of why immigrant parents want to push certain professions like that on their children. And I think it's because, look, they worked really hard to come here and had a hard time at it. And it's in recognition of that, that you and I, like you said, we don't want to let them down because they did work so hard. And we have these lives that we have this potential to lead that we don't want them to feel that we're quote unquote wasting it, which we aren't. But, you know, for them, you want something that's steady. You want something that in by all respects is seen as something that is going to give you a good life. And that's what they want for us is a good life. And when you break it down that way, well, if you want us to have a good life, let's talk about what that looks like. And if we could just have that conversation with our parents, I think that saves a lot of heartache. And hopefully, hopefully with open minds and open hearts, we can actually have that productive dialogue between each other because a good life doesn't necessarily mean a profession as a doctor, a lawyer, or you know, a dentist or whatever it may be. And hey, those are all fantastic professions. No one's knocking that. No one's going to disagree with that, which is why I think a lot of them try to pursue it, right? Or encourage us to pursue it. But if we can actually just listen to each other, because not everyone is destined to be that. Right. And not even destiny is, we're just not all made that way. And it's dangerous to assume that we should be for those reasons and what we went through. It could save just a lot of heartache if we just could talk. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm 
all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. When you first were starting to kick around the idea of making that shift, did you have to have that conversation with your parents? And how? Like, can you give me a sample of like what that was like? Because I could tell you that my conversation did not go as well. Well, you know, I'll, I'll get kind of more personal here, but uh, there was two conversations I had. I first started as I wanted to get into med. I thought I was going to be a doctor. So I did two years of bio-sci in university. You did? I did. And I absolutely hated it. I hated it. Like I, <laughs> I actually liked all of the biology aspects of it, but there's all of these other things that come with it that I'm like, I, this just isn't for me. I'm not enjoying this. I can't see myself in this career. And I remember going to my parents and sobbing sobbing because I thought I was going to let them down because I am the third child <laughs> in you know a, a family of three girls. My two older sisters were not doctors. They work very respectable jobs and they're doing great. But my dad was like, I really want a doctor in the family. I really want this. And I had so much admiration for my dad that I didn't want to let him down. So, But I knew I just couldn't do it. And so I was sobbing when I talked to my parents. And I said, look, I'm really sorry, but I just, I, 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 this isn't for me. Maybe I'll go into business. And then I was sobbing. I remember in the living room and they looked at me. They're like, okay. I was like, what? They're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I, and then I got immediately angry thinking like, I am so emotionally wrought with this. <laughs> and you guys are just like, yeah, okay. Do what you want. You know what I mean? So That's hilarious. Again, the misconception because yeah. it was so drilled into me, the messaging of you got to be a doctor. You got to do this. This is the best thing for you. It's going to make you look amazing. It's going to make us look amazing. Like all of that kind of stuff, right? To take that on and to internalize it and then realize that that messaging and how I internalize it, interpret it wasn't exactly how it was meant to come across. Oh, that's amazing. But also I, I'm not letting them off the hook. They put a lot of pressure on me too, right? So I think it's, there's two sides to this and th that needs to be recognized. So then I went into finance and I liked that, thinking that was acceptable. But then when I got out of finance and wanted to do the shift, you know, my personal relationship with my parents had changed at that point. It's good now, but we had some tough times and I, I kind of am grateful for it because it made me realize like, I don't have to live my life for them or anybody else. I just have to live it for me. I love that. Yeah. Again, it's one thing to learn the lessons and it's another thing to like actively adhere by it. Mm -hmm. When you learn that? Did you feel a sense of empowerment? And how do you still apply that lesson to other areas in your life now? It was a sense of empowerment. It was, it was also because of the situation, sad as well. Yeah. Um, because you also tend to realize in those certain moments that your parents and everyone else around you are fallible human beings. And none of us are made to be these know-it-all guiding light posts for your life which I think sometimes we hope that there's something or somebody out there that could just tell us what to do and everything will be okay. But what's empowering then is after you get over that, oh my gosh, that safety net really isn't there, um, is that 
you get to take on that responsibility. Why would it be any other way? Like you should take on that responsibility in that direction for your own life. So it wasn't so much a hurdle. It was just, you know, with the circumstances, it's recognizing that and then acting on the thing that you really wanted. Your sense of self is really impressive. I mean, I love that. You know, a lot of times people may recognize some of the things that you've recognized, such as, you know, live the life that you want to live. But a lot of people are unable to do it because of the fear of it, right? Okay, you said, um, you know, you should make the life that you want and you're completely responsible for it. And for you, it's very freeing and mm -hmm. empowering. For other people, they may think like, oh, shit, I don't even know what to do with this. So what would your advice be for somebody to shift their perspective and see all of that choice as more of a powerful position to be in and have? Like, where did you get your sense of self? I, I mean, hey, I'm still working on it because life just keeps throwing curveballs, <laughs> you know, and it's just... You've got a really good head on your well, shoulders. Thank you very much. You really do. So do you. Let me start off by saying, and this this might feel like it, it doesn't relate, but I think it does. I read a while ago this really great blog post about the four types of luck that you have in life by Mark Andreessen. And the first one of these four types of luck, one is blind. Like it just hits you blind. It's just by chance. Now, as we go through the next three, it, it's really a call to action for you taking responsibility for your own life and what you want to do. After blind, the second one is chance. It's like you just somehow stumble on some kind of luck, but it's through that action of like you take the chance to do something and then you, eventually you're going to hit something, right? You're going to stumble on something. But no one stumbles sitting down. So really the second one after the blind luck, which I don't know, I don't know anybody that blind luck has happened to other than maybe winning the lottery, but even then you have to go out and buy a ticket. You know, <laughs> that's true. It's that's like, true. the second one is like, you just got to start doing something. You got to get out of that chair, out of bed and do something. And, you know, eventually by chance, something's going to hit. It's like the amount of times you swing a bat, right? This is the analogy. If you're there all day swinging the bat, it's a better chance of you hitting the ball than if you're sitting at home without it, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So the third type of luck is recognizing good fortune. So if you're on a certain trajectory, if you're starting to accrue skills, then you're getting, you're getting skills and you're starting to be equipped with being able to observe potentiality in front of you. And then you can take on that significance and apply it to your life. It goes back to that saying, by Louise Pasteur, I think chance favors the prepared mind. And that's how I felt very much in the beginning of my career was that I don't know what I'm doing yet, but if I keep going, then I'm going to be prepared for an opportunity that may come my way. Or maybe I'd be able to recognize it at a certain point because I'm starting to accrue more of the skills that I need to do. So again, coming from the second of, you know, having chance, just starting it and stumbling your way forward during that stumbling, you start to get skills that maybe you start to recognize certain things and opportunities in your life. And that's the third type of luck, so to speak, recognizing good fortune. Then the fourth one, and this is what I'm always striving to actually get to at a certain place, is your direct emotion. And that's encountered because of your very unique perspective, your unique skill set, where chance and luck actually come to you because of who you are, because of the skills that you've accrued and just because of what you represent. Okay. Really good quote by that would be the English prime minister, Benjamin Disraeli, who said, we make our fortunes and we call them fate. 
All I'm trying to say is like when you start to try to understand your possession of self and to answer your question is none of this happens in an instance. This takes time. Another quote, you got to pay your dues. Like it just takes time, but you got to start somewhere. So why do you feel like you're still struggling with step number four? Well, because I don't think, um, and I'm happy about this actually, is because I don't think I'm ever going to be finished with figuring out who I am and gaining and building a certain level of skill. I think that's something that can always be strived for in life if you're willing and curious enough and open-minded enough to get it. Right. I would hope that eventually there's a certain kind of sweet spot where I, I'm still learning and developing. And as I do that, people will come to me and I go to them and it's just this like nice harmonious way of interchanging and collaborating. But this is the point in my life where I'm like, that's really the end goal is to get that kind of skill level and, and uniqueness and perspective in life where I can actually really share that and be of value. I will tell you this right now, and I'm not blowing smoke up your butt. You're there now because every time we talk, I'm walking away learning something or having something new to think about, a new perspective. And even through the course of this podcast, like a lot of the people that have been so fortunate to have on the show, like yourself, I feel like I'm taking a masterclass from you guys. Oh, gosh. Seriously, I agree with you. It's important for me just you know, being a human being to continue to grow. I want to just stay a student, just continuing to learn. It's so much more fun. I don't know if it's fun because you're the one that likes school. That's not me. <laughs> okay. Well, I, take it outside the context of school and just okay. experience whatever you want to call <laughs> yes. it. But yeah. Yeah. I just feel like I am really getting a chance to, to take a master class when I get an opportunity to speak with you and people like you. I don't know if you can actually just reach a point where you're like, yeah, I'm done. I'm good. Because like life changes. You know, we talked a lot about expectations and also outside messaging. Something else that you said in the last conversation that we had was because of your diverse background and your parents exposing you to so many different people and types of people that you knew from jump that you didn't have to be one thing, which is amazing. But the rub then becomes what happens when the society and the world tells you mm -hmm. you are one thing and you need to pick one thing, but you know you're not. So when those two sides kind of butt heads and in the industry that we work in entertainment, it often butts heads because we have to look a certain way, act a certain way. There are expectations that certainly we have to overcome those things to show the industry, the world mm -hmm. that I am not what you may categorize me as. Was there an instance where you found yourself having to contend with those two boring situations? And what did you do? Um, yeah, I think going back to the idea of these categorizations, the way that I look at it, I just understand it as a way of people first just trying to understand you before they actually really get to know you. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay with saying, okay, this is a woman. She's so-and-so age. Uh, she looks this way. And just from a first impression, this is what we get of her. And this is where we kind of want to place her. Cool. I get that. That's very human, right? For all of us to have those kind of categorizations in our heads so that we can actually start to begin to understand one another. And not even understand what's a better word for that. Just in almost in a generalization. Like a jumping like, off point? Yeah, jumping off point. Like I understand that. 
yeah, you don't have to be one thing, but you do have to be yourself yes. because that's the only thing that's going to stay true for all of this. And, you know, even going back to that type of luck, you know, direct emotion of where things are coming to you because you've chosen a path mm-hmm. and because of who you are and the skills that you have. Well, you don't get that unless you have a unique perspective. You don't get that unless you, you become a person that you want to be versus who you think you should be. In all of that, especially in our industry, like I would venture to say that um, the people that I look up to the most and who have been really successful in their careers have such a unique perspective and viewpoint and seem to be anyway, have a very strong sense of self in that regard, where I'm sure it's taken a long time for them to kind of navigate that. Because as you said, a lot of times in this profession too, it's like the jobs that we're given are based on what they've seen before. And it's not really necessarily an expansion of but that's just something that we need to kind of fight against and say, okay, but I can do more than that. Right. And that's on us as well to stay vocal and to seek that out and to, again, go after that action and make your own fate. That's really hard because I don't know about you, but I can tell you that there have been times where I felt like I had to overcome an idea or rather an image of what a producer looks like. I'm not wearing designer labels you know, I'm just pretty low key. I'm just like, you know, show up in jeans and sneakers. But that's what I love about you. That's unique. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to look a certain way or show a certain thing. I get we all have to play nice with each other and there's certain, sure. Uh, for sure, societal decorum that we should all play by um, just for the safety and comfort and being able to like play nice and collaborate with each other. But beyond that, like the stuff that's harmful, like you're talking about, like the stereotypes and wanting to put generalizations on each other that don't allow us to be seen as fully realized human beings. That's definitely something that we all need to fight against. But the general niceties, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I hear you on that one. I completely yeah. support you 100%, but not everyone's like you. Um, and thank you for uh, you know saying what you said. But sometimes I feel like I have to work harder to break through and to prove myself. I'm at a point in my life where I, like, I care. I still care a lot about my work and people, but not necessarily on fulfilling a specific image. I, I will only go up to a certain point. Like, I'm not going to change or shift my integrity or my truths to fit a mold or to pander to somebody. But that's what makes you so appealing too, right? Who? Me? That's your charisma. You. Yes. That's your charisma. Mm, I oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what draws people because you're not trying to put like anything on other than yourself. You're really authentic. Thank you. But I guess my thing is there's a lot of people that are not like you. How do you encourage other people? Not that I have all the answers. I don't have any answers. I'm just trying to find my own way and stumble, stumble through. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we both are. Going back to what you said in episode one, when you first came on, to build that community that shares the same goals. Like, how are you doing it? I can't force, and nobody can force anybody to take on those certain um, perspectives, right? The only thing that I can do on my personal level is just go out and try to exemplify that through my actions as much as I can, through how I interact with people. And if people are receptive to that and want to participate in that and I with them, then I think naturally that's just how it happens. And look, you are doing it through this podcast. Like, the, no, I'm, I'm being serious because like, it's such a great platform to be able to reach so many different people. And the people who listen to your podcast and come on are, are like-minded people like yourself who want 
to have this happen. But not, like you said, not everyone's going to be that way. And so when you're trying to create a community and find your tribe, so to speak, the best that you can do is put that out there and say, hey, with open arms, let's try to make this happen. And then the people who want to embrace that will, will hopefully come out and embrace that when they're ready to. Because looking through all this, when I go back, as you're asking me, well, what were the moments where those shifts started to happen? I can never pinpoint one because it was always on a micro scale, day by day, month by month, year by year. All of this to say is just patience, right? Patience of like, let's just put out the messaging out there. Let's just try to exemplify that as much as we can. And hopefully that community through time will grow and grow and grow. I can't remember the actual scientific term for it or whatever, but I was listening to something about this of how ideas spread. And it's usually with the most salient ones or within our personal communities, because those are the people that you trust the most, right? Yeah. Just start with that. And then um, I can't remember what the study was or whatever, but they said those are the ones that are most effective because those are the people that you trust and that you love and whose opinions matter the most to you. I don't want to gloss over something you just said. I actually want to, you know, just highlight it, which was you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And that in itself um, can be a really big step, but it's also a really important one. You just hope that you put out the energy and what you want to do out there. Again, make it known. That took a long time for me too, because I was so scared of like telling people what it is I actually wanted to do, because I was still trying to come to grips with the idea of what I actually wanted to do. So when I first became an actor, I couldn't put my name down as just an actor. And even talking to people, I can say I was just an actor for a very long time because I was still grappling with the idea of it, of making this huge shift. I'd always be like, yeah, I'm doing acting now, but I used to do this. Right. Once I was taking ownership again of what I actually wanted to do and what I wanted to put out there and be seen as, then it's like those who are accepting of that and were like-minded is how I found my tribe. And so it's more of just being able to, I guess, have the, I don't know, is it confidence or is it just, just having, I guess, for lack of a better word, confidence is of just putting yourself out there and, and hoping to receive people in the same way. Yeah. I think it's confidence. It's also guts though. I think that's yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, Hey, like without, I wouldn't have met you. This is true. I was just going to say, I'm so grateful that you made your choice because A, audiences would have never gotten the right Zalon. That's the first thing. And yeah, I mean, we would have never crossed paths. So I'm so grateful because you inspire me, truly. Thank you. And you too. Um, But hey, meeting you took seven years, right? (laughs) No, it did because I've been in this. Did it? Yeah, Yeah. I took in this. Well, it took 27 for me then to meet you. Well, I mean, that's how we can look at it, right? Like you just keep going and then just got to be patient with yourself and give yourself a lot of grace in that. Because I think too, a stupid expectation of society is like this whole idea of overnight success, where if you don't hit something right away, then you're, you're garbage at it, which is that in itself is complete garbage. Forget that messaging. You got to work and you got to stay in something to gain some kind of value from it is what I really believe. Yeah, I love that. From the interactions that I've had with you, you have always been on point and you are super prepared. You actively live and show up for the values that you hold. And you can see it on your social media, throughout interviews, just everywhere you go, you can see those values 
present. Let me just say oh, thank you for about the preparedness. I, one, I love work. So I think that helps. But also <laughs> on a very personal level, on a very personal level, I think truly like one of my fears is inadequacy. I get that. Actually, like I'm so scared about being inadequate. Same here. Yeah. And I really take to heart the fact that you are taking time to talk to me right now. And I want it to be worth your time. And that's, that's how I feel. I want it to be worth people's times and efforts because I don't take that very lightly. Me neither. Yeah. You know, time is the only thing that we can never get enough of and can never get back. For me, that's something that's very, very precious and how I deal with social interactions, no matter what it is. I don't ever want to feel like I'm wasting anybody's time. So I always want to make it feel like it's worthwhile. And I hope it is, but that's just my fear of being really inadequate. Absolutely. Are you kidding? I'm sitting here with four pages of notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I agree. I agree with you completely. And I think that's another thing we, we share because I feel like time is so precious. I mean, look, you literally carved out time to sit with me today and do this session while you're still shooting the show. I appreciate so much that you are here because you are so busy. But I think that's really amazing that you apply your value system, not only in work, but socially. In this business where it is so image-based and so when we're talking about image, it can be very superficial. It can be. And this is obviously in general broad strokes here. How do you stay grounded, Yvonne? And how do you stay focused on not buying into the outside messaging that we're being fed? You have a very sort of clear um, vision of what your priorities are and what's important and what isn't. You have your feet firmly planted on the ground. So what helps you do that? Let me talk about something specific because I think maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong if, if this is not where you're getting at. Go girl. But let's talk about beauty standards. Okay. The stuff that you see a lot of the times is all a lot of processing hair and makeup. And that's just not me. I wake up and I'm in sweats. I live in my sports clothes. But anyway, beside the point, <laughs> I what I'm getting at is... Let's talk about like, if I can pinpoint it to something that's yeah. a little bit more, I guess, prevalent in Hollywood anyway, is beauty standards, especially for women, if I may say, I think. Yes, I agree. I think what really helps with that is that's just one type of beauty standard. And because we live in North America, that is a specific type of beauty standard. And I've been very, very fortunate that I've been able to travel to other places and seeing that that is not the world standard. There is so many different ideas. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Yeah. There's so much more to that than just the outward appearance. I'm not going to say that I don't buy into it. There's definitely moments where I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting this and that and I need to maintain whatever. Well, that's being human. Sure. But I want to say that I do recognize in myself where I'm not Teflon when it comes to that messaging being bombarded at us all the time. Right. And it does get to me sometimes. And I think the way that I deal with it is like, what, what you said, human, we're meant to age, we're meant to wrinkle, we're meant to do that. So what other beauty is there that I would really want to focus on? It, it sounds all kind of like airy fairy, whatever, but it could just kind of goes back to like, well, what kind of perspective and what kind of messaging do I want to give out there? And not buying into all that stuff is just what makes me feel good? What makes me feel healthy? What am I doing really just for myself and not because other people expect me to look a certain way or be a certain way? listening to your body and like really embracing all types of beauty. I, I hope that we're starting to get there. Um, 
by seeing that, you know, different kind of body types, looks or whatever, or, or just they're all beautiful in their own right. And we're not the beauty standard for the world. You know, you go to Europe, for example, and the women there don't wear makeup and they just have this like kind of effortless, you know, wake up with like the messy bed head. I think that's gorgeous. I kind of look, I'm like, why can't we embrace some of that? <laughs> you have this great sense of clarity and ability to cut through um, a lot of the noise and the outside messaging. I certainly struggle with feeling or my fear of being inadequate or disappointing people, but I don't know that I've ever had your sense of clarity in terms of this is who I am. I'm not saying it was easy for you. You know, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm sure you've struggled with that. I'm sure you've struggled with self-doubt, insecurity. You're human. One of the many things I admire and respect about you is that you've had this ability to have this almost innate understanding that this is who you are and I know what's important and what isn't. And you're able to, I'm not saying you don't buy into from time to time. We're all susceptible to it. But for the most part, you've been pretty clear from a young age, you know, that this is sort of outside messaging and like a way to compartmentalize almost. Is, is that safe to assume? Yeah, I think so. And look, I, I'm, oh, I'm still struggling with it. Even with the messaging that we get, either it be through, you know, online presence, personal, whatever. One thing that I'm still really learning about that I think is really helpful with that is setting up boundaries and how to properly set up boundaries and how to effectively communicate with other people to take ownership of what it is that you need and that you want in that moment of time to, to help yourself with that certain mindset. So I statements are really important. So rather than saying, well, look, I think we have this perspective rather than trying to get somebody on board with you to say, this is how I feel right now. And also recognizing and really listening to the other person of understanding that, okay, I understand and I hear your perspective. How I feel about this is that, and that's a really effective way of setting up those boundaries and not taking that on. Same thing with social media. I turn it off once in a while because I don't need all that messaging on me especially in the moments where I'm like, this, this just isn't going to help me if I'm always looking at that stuff. And I might start comparing myself to other things. And again, what I should be doing versus what I actually want to do and what actually helps me. Um, so things like that. That's so awesome. It's just setting up boundaries, but like, those are so fucking hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. It's, it's hard because especially with people that you love and that you care about. And it's like, sometimes though, those conversations are just a lot. Yeah. And then you have to set up boundaries with certain people because those boundaries tend to be a lot more gray Yes, um, because of that closeness, right? They're also a lot harder to hold up mm -hmm. and defend. Yeah, yeah. I find it really difficult to not let their messaging penetrate, especially when they're so close to me. What's your best advice for someone who is still struggling to get to where you are in terms of understanding their choice, understanding, struggling to still get that clarity that you're, you're further ahead. I, I guess it really just depends on the person's situation, but I, I, I guess what first comes to mind is, well, do something, just do anything. Because what I first struggled with was the idea of even doing something because of what you talked about, that fear. I, I really oscillated between the do and the do not because if I did not, I stayed with the status quo and I knew that and I was familiar with it and it's quote unquote safe. Whereas the do was like, I don't know when it's gonna happen to me. I don't know what my future is gonna look like, but there's something calling to me that speaks really true to myself that I really just wanna find out. 
And I really encourage people as long as you're being smart about it, like smart as in don't, don't put yourself or anybody else at harm. Right. Right. Of course. But you got to do something to figure it out. Another thing that I've really learned too, is that I can sit here and say, you should do this or you should do that or whatever. I am not in that position to say that at all. But also being on the flip side of that, listening to other people, things really ring true. And I really appreciated that. But it's not until I actually experienced things for myself, did those lessons actually become learned. So it's like you can hear something, but until you actually experience it and internalize it for yourself and and take that for what it is, then it actually becomes something. For me, it's all about, well, we've got to do something to figure out what it is, because my experience is not their experience kind of going back to the projection, right? I don't want to project anything that maybe has worked for me. Of course. This is my journey, my own story, but hopefully it might assist you on yours. Yeah, I agree. Being that you have and can relate to some of the struggles that other people have had and you're showing us that you did it, it ties back to you. If you can see it, you can be it. And that's Mm -hmm. why representation in all forms is so critically important. Right. Um, and, and again, for me to you personally, you show me continually what a community can look like and, and feel like. And that's so incredible because like I said, I grew up not ever having that. So I think it's pretty incredible that not only the work that you guys are doing on screen, but you guys off screen is almost more impactful because I know that's real. Yeah. And I guess to your point too, having all, having said all of this, where, you know, giving the idea of like, just do something and kind of following your own gut. I also don't want that confused with that. You have to do it by yourself because like you said, community is so important. And I don't think we're meant to live or do this life in solitude. It has to be with other people. You need other people just listening and understanding and being I guess, cognizant of like wanting to have people around you that actually do love and support you is really, really fundamental, I think, to actually figure out what it is that you want to be. I think you've navigated and managed the expectations on all the different levels that you've had to face very successfully. Now, you know, I love hanging out with you and I'd love to keep you, but I got to ask you to sign off. The first time I had people sign off that says, let me know who you are and what you represent. Now, will you sign off and let me know who you are and what you would like to encourage everyone to represent? Okay. I guess I'll uh, sum up really, I guess, what we've been talking about this, this hour. So I'm Yvonne Chapman, and I encourage everyone to represent, look, the awesome potential of your life just by taking action to become who you want to be. With great gratitude and love to Yvonne Chapman for really making the time to come back and for sharing her voice, insight, and light. She's an absolute joy, so you need to check her out on CW's Kung Fu and follow Yvonne on her social media. I'll have those links in the episode description. And a big shout out to her amazing team for being incredible to work with. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and share it and leave a review wherever you're listening to your pods. If you missed my first conversation with Yvonne, it's available for download, so go check it out or just listen to it again. I have been so lucky to get great guests, so see who else has come by and know that every episode is available for download, so get them on your devices. Next up is advocate, host, and Emmy Award winner, Lisa Gibbons. My dad's opponent happened to be at this stop on the stump tour. 
And he came up to me and he said, look at you, aren't you just the cutest little thing? I love that he sent his daughter, his little girl to come speak for him. Oh, darling, that's so cute. You just going out there, honey, you just do a fine job. And at that point, he reached underneath my little sundress and pinched my bottom. Hey, it's Lisa Gibbons here. My episode of Reppin' is coming up next. Hope you can join us. I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with her. As always, I love hearing from you. So reach out to me through Twitter at Reppin Podcast or Instagram at Reppin underscore podcast. Thanks always to my crew, Mr. Nelson B.B. Panero, for your time, support, and care. And love and thanks always to Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales.